God-glorifying prayer involves dependence on God. Not partial dependence. Not just when you need Him. Not when you're in a jam. It's amazing how spiritual we get when our back's against the wall. Amen? Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you and ever reminded that we need you on every level. Just not on a Sunday morning. Just not in a hospital room. Just not in a relationship crisis or a marital collapse. But God, we need You. Every hour we need You. And so Father, I pray that as we press into Your Word, God, would You, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would You illuminate these truths in our hearts? I pray that You'd cultivate fertile soil. I ask if my heart or any of our hearts are stony today, that that You would, as was already prayed, take those chunks of stone and turn those into a heart of flesh. Father, we pray for a move of You in this room today. Father, we pray against any oppression. We pray against the schemes of the enemy, his lies, his deceptions. And God, we just pray that You would have Your reign, Your glory, Your praise, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so as we open this glorious truth, this book, this Bible, the truth, not a truth, but the truth, Father, I pray that You would recalibrate our hearts and our minds and souls to it, not that we would try to somehow shape it to form our will, our plans, our agenda. So Father, would You move in power? Would You stir God, I pray the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to You, my Lord, my Rock, and my Redeemer. And oh God, I pray You move me out of the way so that we just see You, just hear You, just worship You today, oh God. And we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of the risen Savior, King Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. Take your Bible, and uh, we have been in this book of James for many, 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 many weeks, and uh, we are not in the book of James because if you were here last week, we finished the book of James. So don't turn to the book of James, but turn to the, the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, I've been praying a lot about, God, what would you have us to study next as we lead into Resurrection Sunday, and I can't wait till Resurrection Sunday. Amen, church? That is the Super Bowl of all Super Bowl Sundays right there. And I can't wait because we longingly look towards celebrating the resurrection of our great God and Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
When you think through that thought, uh, we are understanding that prayer has power. And I know you believe that, and, and I believe that. I believe that there is power in prayer. There is something that happens when men and women and students and children begin to pray. There is something that happens that begins to move when the Holy Spirit gets on a man, a woman, a student, or a child, and they begin to pray. There is something that happens that when God's people begin to pray, mountains get moved. There's power in prayer, amen. And as the title in your note says, prayer changes everything. It changes everything. And I was thinking about that thought, and for you that are not aware, we are in 40 days of prayer right now. And as I've been processing that and reading our scriptures and praying each and every day, and we were in the book of James again, and Towards the end of James, we saw there was so much to be said about prayer. Not just the practicality of it, but the the spiritual need for it. The spiritual desperation that a country, a people, especially men that are leading your families, grandpas that are leading your families, that you'd become men of prayer, single moms, that you'd become women of prayer. That again, we understand that it all has to do with the power of prayer, the potency that we shake heaven, that we pound on the door of heaven, that we do not relent, that we believe our God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever hope, dream, or imagine. I believe that. I believe our God is in the process of revival at this church. It's exciting, isn't it? It can be bumpy. It can be painful, but I believe he's in the process. And as I've been thinking about that, I couldn't help but shake the thought of, oh Lord, teach us to pray. Oh Lord, teach us to pray. Do something today, God. Teach us to pray. I was told recently that in other countries, they don't say they're going to church. They say they're going to pray. Oh, Lord, teach us to pray. Samuel Chadwick said it like this. The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Oh, Lord, teach us to pray. My prayer is that you'd understand our vision for our church. My vision is that we would have a culture of broken, desperate, fervent prayer warriors, intentional prayer that pound and pound relentlessly on that door of heaven that they address just not the physical diseases that are around us and the COVIDs and all the other things that are going on in our lives, but they would begin to address the spiritual sickness, the spiritual disease that's infiltrated our lives and our homes and our churches all across America. Oh Lord, teach us to pray. Well, I believe the Lord did teach us to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, here is what Jesus said. And when you pray, make a note of that, not if, but when, real key, when you pray, 
you must not be like the hypocrites. Don't miss that. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Pause there for a moment. So, in the original language, when you look at that word hypocrite, you see very clearly that's referring to someone who is in a theater production. They're an actor. We might say that in our culture, they're a professional pretender. They raised the hand, said the prayer, did the cartwheel, signed the card, got dunked, got the fire insurance, checking off all the boxes. But they don't know Jesus. And he certainly doesn't know them. Matter of fact, when you look even deeper in that original word, it, it actually gives the illustration of someone wearing a mask. Probably a bad illustration today, man. There's just something about it. It's too easy to be a Pharisee. Our culture enables it. It gets encouraged. Oh, Lord, teach us to pray. What does Jesus go on and say? Well, those hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Why? Here's always the why. That they may be seen by others. They got a lot of pain. On their circular wheel, they got the pain, but they've never dealt with the core issue of sin. They got a broken, wicked, depraved heart that hates Jesus, that hates the light, that loves the darkness, and so they want to be seen by others. They want to worship self. Truly, Jesus says, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, verse 6, have we heard that phrase before? But when, not if, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's all about the heart, isn't it? It's all about the motive of the heart. What am I willing to do in secret for the Lord should be enough. They don't need the applause of man is what he's saying. He goes on and really drills down. And when you pray, verse 7, have you heard that phrase before? Not if you pray, but when you pray. Do not heap up empty Empty, vain phrases, as the Gentiles do. For they think. Very interesting phrase there. For they think. Well, the mind can trick us, right? The battlefield of the mind, the ping-pong match that's going on up there, the circus between the ears, it is so self-deceiving. We think we're heading towards the truth, but we're really walking in darkness. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. So why do we need to ask? That's a really good question, and I'm glad you asked that. We're going to figure that out today together. Verse 9, pray then like this. Have you heard that phrase before? Not if you pray, but when you pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed, don't miss this, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Ooh, we love that phrase, don't we? 
How about the next phrase? As we also forgive our debtors. Why do you have to put that in there? 13, and lead us not into temptation. That's not actually what you perhaps think it is. And we'll see that very clearly here in a moment. But deliver us from evil. Wait a minute, where's he going? Didn't you already talk about this forgiveness thing? 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 15, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wow. Oh, wow. See, the challenge with what we call the Lord's Prayer is this. We often regulate it to something we just regurgitate. We've had church services. I've been in them over the years where we'll say everyone in unison, recite the Lord's Prayer. That's a good thing, by the way, not a bad thing. But do we even know what we're reciting? Do we really understand the deep doctrine that is being taught here that everything, church, listen, everything is an outflow of this one first phrase. If you miss this, you cannot pass go and collect 200. Everything is an outflow of this first phrase when he says this, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Everything's an outflow. Where you go in life is an outflow of that one phrase. Where you are in life today is an outflow of that one phrase. If you're stuck in the weeds today, if you're stuck in sin today, if you're stuck in just one bad decision after another, it's an outflow of not living in this one phrase. Everything in your life, everything in my life is predicated on this one phrase. Jesus is not saying pray like this so you can recite it as some mantra. God knows He's hallowed. The whole point in this is these are petitions. There is asking going on here. When Jesus says, by the way, who's speaking here? Jesus, you're awesome class. Anytime someone asks who's speaking, just say Jesus, and you're probably right. Who turned the water into wine? Jesus. Who died on the cross? Jesus. Who was born in a manger? Jesus. Who said pray like this? Jesus. Flannel graph, Jesus. Remember those days for you that are older like me? Jesus is speaking, so if He's speaking, is it important? I think it's real important. And he says, our Father. (laughs) Interesting. Why didn't he say Mother Nature? Why didn't he say the big man upstairs? How about our buddy? Because there's something, regardless, listen closely, regardless of any father wounds that you might have today, there is something about addressing our Father as Father. There's something. I mean, it's rich. 
And what happens so often is in the temporal life, in the fleshly life, where there's brokenness and there's pain and there's sorrow and there's disappointment and there's my sin and your sin that clouds everything, what happens is when we look at this concept of Father and in the fleshly, the temptation is to see our heavenly Father through our earthly Father. And if that's you today, if you're stuck in the weeds of trying to see the great God of the Bible through your earthly father, you need to pull back immediately, discard looking through that lens, and take a straight shot to the glorious, righteous blood of Jesus who gives you direct access to your heavenly father. I remember when my kids were young, especially my oldest we lived in this teeny, 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 teeny. Did I tell you how small this was? Teeny apartment. We thought it was amazing, right? It was like a box. Teeny. And so we had our oldest son, we had his crib, not his house. I know that means house in the culture today, but his crib. You know what I'm talking about? It's one of those things that has like slats on it. It looks like he's in a prison, like in a jail as he hangs onto the slats. You know what I'm talking about? And we had that right at the end of the bed. And every morning, guess how I woke up? Not by an alarm clock. By a hand grabbing my toes. He would wake me up and grab my toes. Of course, I'd get up and you know, he'd wipe all the whatever out of your eyes, right? And you're trying to make sure you're recalibrating to the world as you get up. And I'll never forget as I walked towards his crib, not his house, but his prison cell. And there he is. He's, he's hanging on to the bars. And the moment he sees me, what does he do? What's he do? I mean, the biggest smile. He's just like... Here's what he said, da, da. When Jesus is speaking here, and some of us today are in a prison cell, and the reality is that we hang on to the bars of life, we need to no longer look at life, but we just need to look at our Father and say, Daddy, man, I need you. I just don't want to sing this song. I want to live this song. It's you. You're the air I breathe. Even if none go with me, I'm going to follow you. My citizenship is not here. My citizenship is in heaven. Our Father. It's so key because we're to hallow Him. What does it mean to hallow the Father? So you've got to remember, Jesus is not saying, just recite this so you can tell God this although that's a good thing. There's a plea of desperation here that he's modeling for us that God's name would be hallowed in us. That we are to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are a royal generation, that royal priesthood, a holy generation, a chosen people. That we are moved from the grip of darkness into the power of light. We walk in truth, not falseness. As we walk in this, we are asking God to create in us a clean heart, O oh God. Search me, O oh God. 
Try me, O God. See if there's any wicked way in me, O God. Do the heart surgery in me, O God. And then lead me in the way everlasting. Do you see the plea of the psalmist there? He is asking that God would reveal the wickedness in him so that Christ in him, the hope of glory, as the word of God dwells in he and you and me in this context today, richly might begin to live holy lives that are pure and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. When's the last time that you've asked God to hallow His name in your life? I mean, when's the last time that you said, God, I, I want you, I want you to hallow your name. I, I want to be sanctified. I want you to take every blemish of sin in my mind and my heart and my soul. I want you to expose it, bring it to the surface, reveal it for what it is, show me truth, show me clarity, don't allow me to live in denial and excuses and blame shifting any longer, and just simply say, God, I want you to take this and create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew, renew, renew a right spirit within me. Imagine what would happen all over our community if everyone today in this gathering would go forth today crying out to the Father with open arms, with desperation, with a pleading, with an intensity, with an urgency that the gates of hell will not prevail. And nothing can stand against us when we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, imagine what would happen today when we cry out and just simply pray one prayer. God, hallow Your name in my life. Imagine. Just imagine what would happen in your home. The dysfunction that's in your home today, perhaps. Imagine what would happen in that home. As you individually begin to hallow His name. I was thinking through that and just looking at that verse 9 as I asked you to look in your Bible. and It really shows how we approach our God. You know, I think so often when I, when I think through this, I think that we just fall into this trap that, you know, consequences are very motivating, aren't they? And God in His gracious passive judgment, at least for now, somehow warps and twists and deceives our brains into thinking that He's somehow okay with the sin patterns in our life. Hallowed be God's name where? This is where we've got to make it personal. Like, well, like what if right now, as you're sitting where you are, that you have a metaphorical prayer altar and you're just asking God as your palms are up saying, God, I want you to hallow your name in me. I want you to do something in me. Holy be your name, God, in me. In every area of my life, don't leave any stone unturned, God, but flip over every stone in my life. Flip over every one of them and make me holy. 
We often talk about revival and the reality, I think, that some, perhaps even here today, some are too enamored and ensnared with hallowing our own name. And the reality is that it's impossible to hallow God's name and our own name at the same time. You can't do it. You're going to love the one and hate the other. You're all in or you're all out. I'm going to ride the fence. That's bad news. You're all out because Satan owns the fence. We must first hallow His name. That's why key number one is so key. God-glorifying prayer starts with God and fears His name. So key number one, write it down, God-glorifying prayer. Notice God-glorifying. That's not filler. That's intentional. God-hallowing prayer, you could say, starts with God and fears His name. You say, well, that seems too simple. It is. Why do we miss it? God's a God of order. Have you noticed this through Scripture? He created the earth, the world. There was a pattern there, a God of order. The Ten Commandments, how many were there? Ten. Good answer. There were ten. I've learned if I get number one right, the remaining nine take care of themselves. Don't have to worry about them. What happens is we forget number one and we create all our idols, don't we? We love our idol factories. We have all kinds of idols, and we wonder why our lives are in shambles. We wonder why the marriage is dissolved. We wonder why the kids are misbehaving. we got idols everywhere, living in rebellion and defiance. Praise Jesus. No, God-glorifying prayer starts with God and fears His name. We've got to crush our idols. Right now, perhaps the Lord is bringing an idol to your mind. And we make idols out of anything, anything that takes place of God that dulls the pain and fills the void of what He intended to fill it with, and that's His Son, Jesus. Anything's an idol. Ministry can be an idol. Anything can be an idol. We become so easily deceived. Often it's the worship of self, the glory of self. This is how deceptive sin is. So the intoxicating point of sin is not that we fall madly in love with the sin. It's not it. Because you guys know this. I know this. Sin will never satisfy. So we don't fall madly in love with the sin. Here's the intoxicating allure. We fall madly in love with the worship of self. That's the intoxicating allure. It's the Garden of Eden part two. The enemy didn't say, worship me. He said, you will be like God. Well, that's music to our ears, isn't it? Can't wait to be like God. Where's the Kool-Aid? I want to drink the whole pitcher. And we begin to worship self. That's the allure. That's the intoxication. That's where the claws get sucked into. That's when we don't get what we want or we're held accountable or what have you. We get really, really angry, like really, really mad. And when we get squeezed, what's in us comes out of us. If holiness is in us, when my hand is held to the fire, prayerfully, I'll have a humble, coachable attitude. But when it's not, here comes the me monster. All of life's problems could be solved if we just simply hallowed God's name, truthfully. Not in word, not in hey flippancy, not put it on a coffee mug or a t-shirt, but begin to live it. Because everything's an outflow. Please don't miss this. Everything's an outflow. 
If you choose today, it is your decision, but if you choose today, say, you know what, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not interested in hallowing God's name. I need to warn you, there is tough sledding ahead. Tough, tough sledding. Because God will not hold those guiltless who do not hallow His name. See, when we don't hallow His name, we're actually, because there's only two options, we're really in turn hating His name. We're exchanging the H's. Hallow is, here, it's all about you and your glory and your praise, and you just do whatever you need to do. You can't halfway be in in that equation. You say, well, I want to have joy. Well, I'm glad you asked, because write down John 16, 24, somewhere in your paper. John 16, 24. Here's what it says, an incredible text. It says, until now, you have asked nothing in my name. So did you catch this a while ago? It said here, what did this say when you turn back there to verse 9 in your Bible? It says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be what? Your name, <laughs> the name of God. When you look at the Old Testament, he'll say often, I am. Just two words, I am. And like, that's enough. You're like, okay, we're getting this. Like, he fills every Every portion of the cubic square feet is filled because I am. There's nothing left. Hallowed be His name. You've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. This is not this health, wealth, prosperity garbage that we see so often on the doodah channel on TV. That's not what he's talking about. But here, don't miss this. Here's the why, that your joy may be what? To catch this? This is like rich. This is one to write down right here. That your joy may be what, church? Full. How many people would like their joy meter fuller? Amen? There it is. See, it all goes about how we approach. It's all about the name that's above every name. At the name of Jesus Christ, every, not some, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is not one of those deals that you get there, you know, on the last day and everyone just kind of, we all shake hands and, hey, let's all go to the Disneyland in the sky together and ride our rides. That's not how this is going to work. There's going to be a day for those who have not hallowed his name, but have truly hated his name. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of wickedness, lawlessness. So many people are looking for joy in all the wrong places. Sounds like a great title to a song. And they are. They're looking for joy in everywhere but the hallowing of God's name. That's where your joy will be filled. Think about this for a moment. Let's do a little exercise together, class. Right now, let's pretend. Right now, think about this for a moment. You're going to worship God right now. Like right now. Like I mean right now. Tell me how much sin you're living in right now. Kind of hard to do them simultaneously, isn't it? See, there's something about Halloween that really is all about worshiping. And we all worship something. And what we worship or who we worship is actually the root that we can trace back to the original origin of who we're enslaved to. When we're enslaved to Christ, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives within me. That Christ in me, the hope of glory. When that's you, and it's not just this fake charade that you spout up on Sunday, but it's real, you live it all the week long. 
that it's really real, what it does, it produces something in you. It's working. It's alive. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. That's why Hebrews 12 is so powerful, 12, 20 through 29. If you're wondering how God really is and who He is and what He does, therefore let us be grateful, I love that, for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. All God's people shouted, amen, right? Aren't you glad for you that are truly saved today that you serve the kingdom of God that cannot be shaken? Like you hang your hat on that, but also here's this warning, look at this. And let us then what? Offer to God acceptable worship. So what does that mean deductively? What can you deduct from that, that phrase? I can deduct this, that I can offer to God unacceptable worship. And then what does it say? With reverence and awe. That's how you hallow. That's how you fear. There's a reverence and awe. Oh God, you're just it. There's none other. I don't need what I think I need to dull my pain and fill my void. I just need you, Jesus. For our God is what? An all-consuming fire. Wow. What a visual. So we would have thought after that one verse that this is going to be smooth sailing from here on out. Wrong. Look at verse 10. Jesus surgically sinks the spiritual scalpel deeper. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, these are some of the hardest words to actually say, comma, and live. Because here's what he's saying. See, first you hallow his name, and if you haven't done those, this is where this gets really tricky. So just kind of work with me on this. If you're having trouble right now letting go of your kingdom and your will, you don't have a kingdom problem or a will problem. You have a hallowing God's name problem. Everything's an outflow. Everything's an outflow. So when I hallow God's name, how difficult is it going to be for me to surrender my kingdom to Him? (laughs) Just what you do. How about my will, my plans, my hopes, my dreams? It's just what you do. That's why key number two is so important. God-glorifying prayer involves submission to God. Oh, we love that word, don't we? Key number two, God-glorifying prayer involves submission to God. We often say joyful submission, uh, not like the kids of Israel. Remember the kids of Israel? They were a wild bunch, weren't they? I'm glad we never do what they did. Amen? Sometimes. Here they are. I mean, they're they're stiff-necked. They're rebellious. They're defiant. Heels dug in. They had a real submission issue to the Lord. And I often, in counseling, will, will talk to folks and you know, as you talk to folks, so you, you get a pretty clear picture on what's going on in their world. There's a lot of people that struggle all over our country with being submissive. 
Uh, Not out of some sort of legalistic jargon, not out of some sort of evil, but it's a real problem. And the reality is, if you have an issue with submitting joyfully on the earth, the real issue is there's an issue with being joyfully submissive to God. And I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen as I, I see the trail of the carnage. So, so the person is not joyfully submissive to God, and so they're living in rebellion and defiance. And then you trace the trail. Now there's kids involved, and they're not overly submissive, and you just see this trail. And it all goes back to this root of truly hallowing God's name, which then goes, here's my will, here's my kingdom, oh, here's my submission. But it all goes back to the glory war. Think about this for a moment. James 4, 7, write that one down. It just simply says this, and we studied it. Therefore, submit to God. Doesn't say partially, doesn't mean half heartedly. It actually means all in. I mean, we're really good at verbally saying this, but do our actions back this up? Because James 1.22, I think, will give us a further underpinning of this thought when it simply says, as we studied in depth, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving who? Yourself. Let me read that again. But be doers of the word. So what does that mean? It means this, to be obeyers, just not sayers. It's easy to be a sayer of the word and not an obeyer. Here, James, by the inspiration, the illumination of the Holy Spirit that is illuminating these words through the pen of James, he says, but be doers, obeyers of the word and just not hearers. It's one thing to hear with the head, with the ears. It's a whole nother deal when we hear from the heart. And that's my prayer for our church, that the Holy Spirit would begin to work in power again. There's going to be bumpy roads here. Bad sin patterns, when they need to be broken, typically don't get embraced to be broken. I get this. This is not my first rodeo. I understand this. And here's the challenge, though. If we don't kill sin, it will kill us. You can't coexist with sin. Jesus didn't give His life so that we could just go partay. He set us free from sin. We're no longer slaves to that. We're heirs. We're, we're children of the King. And yet what we do often, if we're truthful, is we're actually living in sin, not submission to God, rebellion, defiance, stiff-necked, brazen forehead, and no one gets more deceived over my own sin, over your own sin, than me and you. That's the deception in this whole thing. The very thing we crave, well, if I can just act this way, I'll finally get what I want. Actually, what happens, it robs us of the very thing we're craving. That's the deceit of sin. I counsel people almost weekly. Here's what Satan does. He's the greatest cheerleader you can imagine. He cheers us into the sin, and the moment, the very moment you partake of it, he steps on your neck and calls you a worthless loser. Well, you understand this, that the word devil is where we get our English word diabolical. Now think through that for a moment. That sounds like a pretty diabolical person, doesn't it? Go, go, go. You're great. You're awesome. Worship yourself. You did that, loser. That's pretty diabolical. 
And I think the issue is we just toy around with this stuff. We think it's not a big deal, but it'll kill you. I've seen it happen over and over. So what should you do? Well, God, your kingdom come, my kingdom be exterminated. Your will be done, my will be crushed. Because he goes on in verse 11 and says, give us this day our daily bread. So he's saying give, and it's not like one of these where he's saying like, give me. Now remember, this is an outflow. We're building literally a wall here, a glorious wall in a beautiful way. The Nehemiah wall, we're building it, and it's all an outflow of that first cornerstone called hallowing his name. Everything is underpinned. It's girded up by hallowing his name. And so now we get to the next brick in the wall called give us this day our daily bread. He's not saying give me. It's not what he's saying here. He's literally saying this, I'm depending on you to provide. It kind of goes back to the prodigal son. You guys remember that account, the prodigal son? Love that story. Amazing, amazing illustration of the grace and the mercy of God is deeper still. I love it. And what's so intriguing about that is you know the prodigal and he, he goes to his dad and he says, dad, he says, here's how much I think of you. Give me right now, like give me right now what's mine, even though you're alive, I'm going to treat you with such contempt that you're dead. You typically don't get an inheritance until the person dies, amen? You give me right now what's owed to me. Think about the wounds that the son has now cast on that dad. And you know the account. There he is, sitting there on his porch, the dad is, in his cracker barrel rocker, just rocking away. And he sees in a distance, he sees the sun. And what did he do? Well, he took a nap, said, hey, whenever he gets up here, we're going to have a conference and we're going to deal with this. What did he say? It says he got up and he ran. He ran. He ran towards the sun. And he fell on him. He kissed. He said, don't go down to goodwill. He goes, bring out the best to put on my boy. He says, we're going to throw a party. Don't get a skinny calf. Get a fat one. Oh, this is going to be an amazing one. Don't go down to Jenny Craig. No, 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 no. Get the whole pack of Oreos. You know what's interesting about that? The son, here's the key, in humility. So give me, give me, give me pridefulness, rebellion. Goes to a humble heart. And he goes from give me to make me. Do you see this? He goes from give me to make me. Make me your servant. Do you see the parallel today when When Jesus says you're going to hallow God's name and you're asking God to hallow His name in your life to create in me and you a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit with us and and cast us not away from Your presence, O God, but renew that right spirit. He's saying, do the heart surgery work in my life and do it now. And when God does His surgery, it hurts and it's painful but it finally sets us on the road to spiritual healing. Give me this day the needs that I have. It really communicates in key number three this point, and it's simply that God-glorifying prayer involves dependence on God. 
God-glorifying prayer involves dependence on God. Not partial dependence. Not just when you need Him. Not when you're in a jam. It's amazing how spiritual we get when our back's against the wall. Amen? Boy, the pages in the Bible are worn out. I mean, we're, just, we're in it all of a sudden. Why? Because we're in desperation mode. No, He wants you to be desperate for Him when you're on the mountaintop of life. He wants you to rely on Him in every area, just not in the daily bread. Notice that it's this day. Don't look so far ahead of tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Just focus on God today. You're our great provider. You're Jehovah Jireh. I know you can come through. As we pray to you, O oh God, oh, would you come in power? When you take the field and people see how great our God is all over Chester and beyond, we'll fall at our feet and worship and say, oh God, there's none like you. I think so often we pray and our prayers are hitting the ceiling. We're wondering why our prayers aren't being answered, even though they are. He's saying no, or he's saying wait. He's saying, I got a better plan. Trust me. Not demanding again to God. There's a desperation. There's mortifying the worship of self, killing the worship of self, and being self reliant. And that's what the enemy does. He says, You can do this. You're good. No, I can't. No, you can't. Nothing. I can do nothing apart from Jesus. And so he moves on to verse 12. And this is where, if you thought it was going to get easier, this is where the rubber meets the road. If you thought the first parts were hard, buckle up. And forgive us our debts, check, amen, praise Jesus, all our hands are in the air, as we also have forgiven our debtors. No, don't like that part. What does it mean to forgive? It means this, to pardon. You could even describe it from the original of sending away. So, when someone has sinned against you and when you have sinned against them, when there's forgiveness going on, there's a pardoning that is sending that away. You're literally casting it away. That's why we talk about being cast as far as the east is to the west. It is well with our soul. Our sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross. All of it, not some of it. It's been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. It's been sent away. It's been pardoned. There's nothing greater in life. Well, we've got to remember that our debts were costly. Jesus paid a sin debt of mine and yours, if you're a true believer here today, that you and I could never pay. The debt was so high, you and I couldn't pay it. We couldn't work to somehow achieve this spiritual vitality and freedom that we desire. Only Jesus could accomplish that. He paid a debt that was insurmountable. You can't be good enough. I can't be good enough to somehow achieve this. And by the way, where was Jesus placed? Do we remember when He was executed? He was placed in a borrowed grave, wasn't He? I love that. Don't you love that concept? I mean, why would you want to go out and purchase a grave if you had no intent on staying there, amen? Because we know what happened. On that third day, He arose. And He arose indeed, amen? Who do you need to forgive today? Who do you need to forgive? You say they haven't asked for it. That's not what I asked. Who do you need to forgive? See, often we have spiritual amnesia in this department. We 
love to be forgiven for our own spiritual adultery against God, but we often forget to forgive others. Who do you need to forgive today? That's why key number four is so important. Key number four, God-glorifying prayer, God-hallowing prayer involves confession and repentance of personal sin. I wrote this down. I said, a joyful desire to be unshackled from the self-imposed prison cell of denial and blame-shifting of my personal indwelling sin and step into the freedom of taking personal responsibility through confession does an incredible freeing work that can only be done through confession and repentance. Now pause for a moment. What do you desperately crave today? Peace, joy, contentment? Again, whatever you're looking for today if you're living in sin is actually going to rob you of what you're looking for. Isn't that amazing how this works? It's so self-deceiving. That's why for you car guys, maybe car gals in the room today, I mean, how do you restore a car? If your car is real rusty, what do you do? Well, you just paint over it, right? If it's rusty, just paint over it. I know what I do. If I have a check engine light on my dashboard, I just get a piece of electrical tape, black electrical tape, and that solves my check engine light. It's amazing how that works. It's incredible. It's a great fix. Really cheap. Go to the dollar store and it's taken care of. Now, what do you do? Well, you, if you're going to fix a car that's rusty, you've got to take it down to the metal. I mean, you've got to take this thing down. You've got to do some real deep sanding. That's the, the pruning and refining work of God in our lives when we confess and we repent. He's getting in there and doing a deep, deep work. He gets in there and He digs deep. That's why so often we go through what we're going through. He's trying to teach us something. He's trying to get our attention. There's something in our lives that's not of Him, that's not hallowing His name. And He loves us so dearly like a good, good father does. And He doesn't just say, hey, go and do what you want and play in the street. He goes, no, 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 come over here and I'm going to discipline you for your good, for my glory, God says. He's a good, good father. And I think through that thought, and it really leads me into that final segue just a great springboard into 13, 14, and 15. When he says, and lead us not to temptation. So think about that. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, he's, he's not saying that God leads people into temptation. That's a, the better translation is, read something like this. And permit us not into temptation. Or even, there's even debate in the original language that the word temptation can also mean adversity. So when you really dig deep into this and mine it and pull it apart and understand it for what it says here, number one, understand this, that God never leads me or you into temptation. That's the whole problem in our culture in America today. It's always everyone else's fault. I mean, you can do whatever you want, literally, and you can somehow find a way to blame it on somebody else. What does James say about that? Well, we study this in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, and here's what the book of James says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. So very clear there, can't blame God for this. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person, don't miss this, put your name in there, I put my name in there, but each one. But John is tempted when he is lured, when he is enticed by his own desire. 
This is the self-deception of sin. We want to blame it on everyone else and our pain. I got to look in the mirror. You got to look in the mirror. There's no way you will get off this cycle of stupidity that we so often get on unless we begin to get honest and open with self and say, I got to look in the mirror. I've been blaming my whole life on everyone else. No, I got to take ownership for my sin. And that's why our key number five says it like this. God glorifying prayer involves seeking God to keep us from evil. God glorifying prayer involves seeking God to keep us from evil. I mean, if we're going to ask God to keep us from evil, that means we could fall into evil. Duh. So we've got to go to war against this. You've got to have a battle plan. You've got to focus on Jesus. Get an accountability partner. Don't play with sin. It's like playing with fire. You and I will get burned. Because the lies of the enemy are so powerful. He's such an accuser. He'll tell us this, well, your sin is not that bad. And in reality, it's always someone else's fault. Blame them. I mean, think about that. So here's what he says. Hey, here's your sin. Here's his lies. It's not that bad. It's really someone else's fault. Just blame them. Easy to do. Pass the buck. Or if we rebel against that in a good way and say, wait a minute, it's not someone else's fault. Here's what he'll do next, typically. He'll say, you can attack this in your own strength. Oh boy, here we go. You can't wage this war in your own strength. This is by the power of the Holy Spirit, by a band of brothers, a band of sisters that will help you and I kill what's killing us. And often we don't even know it. It's like the carbon monoxide approach. You don't smell it, you don't see it, but it's killing us. That so often is the deception of sin. So think about this. Just like your life's actions will be an outflow, a byproduct of understanding your rescue with Christ and your union to Christ, embracing God's name to be hallowed and glorified, and every area of your life will also produce this final point. And that's 14 and 15, and here it is. So for if you forgive others, verse 14 of Matthew 6, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not, if you choose not to do this, to forgive them, to pardon them, to send away their sin, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses, your sin. But this is so weighty when you think about this. This is how serious God takes His forgiveness towards you and me, and how serious He takes our forgiveness towards others. Because if we're holding on, think about this, if we're holding on to unforgiveness, there's going to be bitterness in our heart. We're enslaved to this. We're controlled by it. We're thinking about it. I can assure you this, when I'm doing that, I'm not hallowing God's name. Do you see how the outflow of this works, the building blocks? It's all about hallowing His name in me, in you, that will therefore give us the roadmap how to accomplish everything else in this prayer. And by the way, did you notice that He mentioned this forgiveness thing twice? Why do you think He did that? I think he did because I think so often our prayers are hindered because we're harboring unforgiveness towards someone else. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? Well, here's the takeaway question. Is my prayer life changing me? Is my prayer life changing me? 
See, the title of the message is Prayer Changes Everything. But here's the real question, is prayer changing me? Not is prayer changing that other person, but is prayer changing me? You might ask it like this, do I truly seek to hallow God's name in all areas of my life? I mean, just think about that question. Do you and I, only you can answer for you and only I can answer for me, do you, do I truly desire for God to hallow every area of our lives? Every area. Don't hold anything back. Just hold it out there because if you hallow, it's going to be real easy to give away your kingdom and to give away your will. But when you're not hallowing, when you're not saying, God created me this holiness, you are going to fight for the rest of your days in a tug-of-war against God, and that's a tug-of-war match you will never win. That's why it's so important to ask these questions. What idols am I currently holding on to? What idols are currently enthroned in my heart? How do I react when I don't get what I want? Is there humility? Or is there stiff-necked rebellion, defiance? Do I become defensive? Is there contrition? What's my response when these things happen? Do I pout? Do I whine? That's all self-worship. That's all part of pride. Pride goes in one of two extremes. Pride either goes into boasting or really self-pity. And when I'm prideful, I go in one of those two things. Why? Because I'm asking, I'm not getting what I want. And it destroys. I've seen this destroy individuals. I've seen it destroy families. I've seen it destroy churches. So you think through this final action step. So what do we do? Well, your spiritual growth is only up to you. So here it is. I will seek to be a person of fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. Actually, you could write next to that, I will seek to be a person of the Lord's Prayer. How about that one? I will seek to be a person of the Lord's Prayer. How? By your own strength? No, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Intentional, urgent, desperate, looking away from self, crushing the enemy of self, travailing, laborious prayer. I mean, you are just in it and you are praying. When is the last time you and I began to pray and you prayed so intensely that you began to sweat? I mean, there is just a prayer that is just so dialed in. You're saying, God, I am not going to leave this prayer war room until I hear a word from heaven. And you begin to pray and pound and pray and pound. That's when the revival happens. And say, well, how can I do this practically? Well, I'm glad you asked. You've heard of the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. I love it. I just think we're missing a letter. I call it A-C-R-T-S. Number one is adoration, A. I worship you, God, and you alone. I'm going to hallow your name is what you could say. When you begin to pray, you pray in this order, not out of legalism, but again, we're following the Lord's prayer, not a resuscitation, not a mantra. I'm going to adore you and hallow your name to be Christ to me, the hope of glory first. Number two, confession. It's a really good thing. I admit. That's how you start. I admit, God. I admit I've blown this. Man, I've screwed up. I've been a lousy parent, a lousy spouse, fill in the lousy, whatever it is. Confess it, get real, but here's where we miss it. We skip over the R, which is repentance. Like, I can say I've been a lousy parent all day long, but what if I keep going and being a lousy parent? I need to turn. 
to turn from whatever the Holy Spirit is revealing in my heart. I say, God, I'm going to hallow your name. I'm going to confess. Boy, you're speaking to me, Holy Spirit. I see my sin issues. I'm no longer walking in darkness. I want to repent. I'm going that direction. I do an about face and I flee. I flee from that sin. T, thanksgiving. God, I thank you. I thank you, God. I hallow you. I admit through confession. I turn through repentance. I thank you, God. Through thanksgiving and lastly, as supplication. God, I'm depending on you. Here are my needs. Here are my desires. But it all is an outflow. God's first and we're last. Did you notice that? God's first and we're last. And everything begins to sprinkle forward. So for those of you who are truly on your way to heaven, and my prayer is that all of us are, what do you think... Work with me for a moment as we close. What do you think you'll be doing for all eternity? Any idea? When you study eschatology, you see that we will be worshiping. We will be hallowing the name and the person and the work of Jesus Christ, who shines like the sun. We're going to be hallowing His name. See, for you that are hallowing God's name here, it's going to be a joyful time of hallowing His name there. But for you that are hating God's name, and you can be a churchgoer and claim to hallow His name, and the reality is you're rebelling and you're hating God's name. My plea to you today is that you repent and turn for those who do not truly give their life to Christ, they will spend their lives eternally separated with eternal torment that will never end. Father, we come before You and we just cry out to You in desperation. God, I pray if there's one here today that has never truly hallowed Your name, given their life to You, saying, I don't want any more of my kingdoms. I don't want my will any longer. I just want you, God. Oh God, would you speak during this time? Would you move? Move in power. Holy Spirit, don't allow us to rebel even in this time as you're working. God, would you do something? Don't allow us to leave here unfazed, unchanged. Oh God, I pray you would do something that can only be attributed to you. And God will be quick to give you all the praise and give you all the glory. And we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of King Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.